Welcome back to Two Dudes Watch Cartoons, the podcast where two dudes, that's us, watch cartoons. Uh, my name is Alex. And my name's Evan. Did you, did you forget your name there? <laughs> yeah, just for a moment. Slight moment. Paused on my name. Uh, right. I was deciding if I wanted to go with my name or what we were covering today. Well, sure. But... Today, I'm excited. We are continuing our Avatar coverage. We've moved past The Last Airbender, and we are going to The Legend of Korra. Um, and today, we're going to be covering seasons one and two. Uh, why, why are we covering them differently than the other one? I know this was my idea, but I think it's important that we let people know. Well, yeah, well, just because uh, the, the seasons themselves are shorter, they're, I think, 10 to 12 episodes a season, so... Figured we could cover more ground, uh, and I, I, I want to make clear we didn't set out to make uh, a podcast where the <laughs> first like several episodes are just about Avatar. The timing of it just kind of worked out. Um, where Legend of Korra drops on Netflix like a week ago, two weeks ago, something like that. So yeah. it was timely, uh, and we really love Avatar, so we figured we just keep on trucking through it. Yeah. Now originally. I watched this back when it first came out. Let's see here. When was it? So it uh, started broadcasting in 2012. So mm-hmm. I feel like you and I actually watched this while we were in college because we were excited. We're like, there's more Avatar mm-hmm. coming. And I'll be honest, I was really disappointed in 2012. <laughs> I think a lot of people were. Definitely. But I, I mean, I think it gets a lot of flack, but uh, revisiting it, I think there's... It, it can stand on its own. I, I think it's a really great series, especially season one, mm-hmm. which for me is one of the better seasons. I think one thing to keep in mind that I wasn't necessarily aware of when it came out is that um, when they announced Legend of Korra, it was supposed to just be a, a mini series. Season one was oh. going to be uh, just a standalone thing. That's why the naming of it, the book is air. It would have, you know, wrapped up nicely. I love that it was four elements. Yeah, yeah, I was so excited that it was about air. That was one thing, mm-hmm. though. I'll be honest. I'm maybe jumping a little bit ahead before we start. I wanted to learn like she was she didn't know how to airbend. And mm-hmm. this was called book one air. And I feel like she really skipped over the airbending learning part of it. She just kind of got it one day, but I was yeah. real excited when I found out it was called air. Cause like you said, it wraps up the four elements. We finally get that book of air. Uh huh. So, I, I mean, season one starts out. So Cora, if you haven't watched the series, she is the next avatar after Aang. Which is they, so exciting. Uh huh. Yeah. That's so exciting. We get to see the cycle continue. Mm hmm. And you get to see a world that is not as futile as the one we left behind in Mm -hmm. The Last Airbender. Uh, It's set in Republic City, which I think you said before is kind of a a cop out of a a name. Just kind of lame. Such a cop out. Republic (laughs) City. I mean, I get what they're going for because it's got like all four nations there. It's like a it's like Uh a New York City of its time. It it was founded by people that weren't from there. But they, mm-hmm. they could have done better, especially with all the great naming they did in season or not season one. Wow. In The Last Airbender, they like Whale Tail Island, like they had some creative names for things. And this one just felt like Republic City was as bland as it could get. 
Yeah, but the the world is. I mean, the hundred year war has ended. It's a lot more developed. It's a lot more modernized. Uh, there are like vehicle, like motorized Parks. vehicles yeah. are standard. The best way I would describe it is like a, a steampunk avatar. Hell yeah, which is kind of cool. It's yeah, definitely a different take. One. Like I do appreciate that that we're not just in the same world we were in before. Like mm-hmm. time has passed. A lot of time has passed and they make it very evident yeah. in those small details. So while I'm not a huge fan of the city setting itself, I do appreciate the cooler elements that it brings to the story. Uh huh. And the introduction. So uh, the, the first episode, the introduction to, to Korra as the avatar, you get it's set in the South Southern water tribe. Um, and you have the white Lotus, which is now a more established organization. Yeah. Visiting- which is cool. Uh, it's a continuation. Her, her, her parents, they're looking for the next avatar and, and they, um, they're like, you know, we've, we've gotten a lot of calls about like, we think we might have the avatar and, and, uh, Cora's mom is like, well, you can, uh, rest easy because your search has come to an end and Cora bursts through the wall. She's a little toddler already bending water, earth and fire. She's already mastered those three. Um, at such a at such an early age, which is amazing, and so she's a child, a she's a toddler. Her, yeah, trying to learn airbending, which is the last one for her to master, and that's why book one of Cora is air. So this was exciting to start out because, like you said, she already knows three of the elements, and it's the three that we learned about in the last airbender so Mm -hmm. we don't need to go through her relearning those elements which is nice uh and she's a bit older she's older than ang she's 17 when the show like picks up story wise and whereas ang was 13 correct me uh, he's young something like that yeah yeah yeah. and so oh no he's 112 so he's he's 12 technically but he's 112 um but so Katara, like it starts off really promising. Katara Uh is there. She's like, you're thinking like, I don't know, to me, like I would have loved to see Katara in majority of the show. Like she's one of the characters I love from before. Mm -hmm. It's a crossover. And so in the beginning, Katara is there. She knows three elements. Um, Korra seems like a badass, which is great. It's kind of different than Aang. Aang was very in touch with his emotions, his inner side, whereas Korra is more rough and tumble, which I enjoy. It's 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 nice. They aren't too similar Mm -hmm. in a in a nice. I mean, we've talked about it for every episode now, but in a nice kind of parallel Avatar, the last airbender is all about Aang learning to be kind of more like Korra, assertive, confident, headstrong. Korra is about her becoming learning to become like Aang. She's been cooped up uh, with the white Lotus being trained as the avatar since she was a toddler. So she is an avatar that's trying to learn to be human Mm -hmm. and going really going out into the world. I like that. Uh, mm -hmm. I never put that together. Even the the settings they're in, like Aang has to establish order uh, amongst chaos. And then uh, Korra is in a world where, Orders are already established and chaos kind of starts to filter back in. Damn, so, dude. That's a really, really cool good parallels. Yeah, I never realized that. I actually really like that because mm-hmm. that is part of like this whole first season in particular is like there's order in place. There's governments, there's processes, even like mm-hmm. uh, Tenzin. Tenzin has his rules, his ways, his like things that go on. But chaos is striking and chaos is what Korra has to deal with. So 
I, I've never realized that. I really actually enjoy that. Whereas, so we do see that Aang created that peace that he was striving mm-hmm. for. He created a world mm-hmm. that comes together, um, which is cool. I mean, it's a bummer we don't get to see Aang. Like we see bits of adult Aang. Uh, yeah. But it's a like, I think a lot of people are bummed that it's not a continuation of Aang, Katara, Sokka, and Toph's story. But mm-hmm. in a way, I think it does represent because like the avatar cycle is such an important part of the show this is the next chapter of their story it stinks that they're not main characters in it but this is the continuation of that same story from before and it takes a little time to get used to that i think when i watched it back in 2012 i didn't pick up on that Mm -hmm. it felt real separate to me oh i totally agree with you like i think a lot of what people are dissatisfied with is that it's not a continuation, not a direct continuation of, um, you know, the original team avatar, but it's kind of an exploration into what his legacy is outside of just being the avatar, like the political systems that are put into place, his children who are prominent characters and his grandchildren and all of his friends and their, his friends' children. Um, so one of the characters we meet, so Cora, uh, let's talk about the brothers. One, Let's start with the brothers. Yeah. I think they're a good spot oh, to start. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So I, this might not be an order of how she meets them, but I think they're the next two tier characters in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Mako and Bolin, which back in 2012 also, I was confused as hell that they're brothers, but one could be a firebender and the other's an earthbender. Mako is a firebender and uh, Bolin is an earthbender. Now, did that confuse you? Uh-huh. I guess I never really put any thought to it, but yeah, it seems a little different because if my understanding is correct um, in season two, it almost seems like bending is uh, kind of descended by lineage or yeah. genealogy. Well, no, it's always been lineage. The four nations, yeah. they, okay. they pass it. But uh, so that's why I was confused that brothers. And so I actually, for a good portion of the series till maybe season two or three, thought they were just like not actual brothers, but like just orphaned together and called each other brothers. So Uh I actually thought that was a really cute side of their relationship because these two do show like a very strong brotherly love, but uh, it just turns out that their uh, mom was a earthbender and their dad was a firebender. It's as simple as that. So pretty simple. Yeah. yeah, it's, (laughs) It's a simple answer. Whereas I like convoluted it way more than it needed to be. But, uh, so Mako is, the firebender of the two he wears uh, that red scarf from his uh from his mom was it i think so yeah and how would you describe mako mako's love interest um, I, yeah in season one he's the love interest he is probably the closest most analogous to zuko we have from the original team yeah. avatar, but he's not as He's a little moody, I guess. He's not uh, but he's as the, moody he's as the, Zuko, but he's the moody one of the group. Yeah, he's the start of the group, kind of the... He can lightning bend, which is dope. second in command, yeah. yeah. Which is cool to see because in The Last Airbender, lightning bending it's is... Rare. ...reserved for the royal family. And just to see how that has just, you know, made its way trickled down to being a more common uh, ability where they're using it to power their plants. In that the is cool. City. I didn't think about that. Whereas it mm-hmm. was really exclusive, but now 
in the world, the the free world. Yeah, it's much more commonplace. Uh, but yeah. so, yeah, Mako, that's a good way to put it. He's comparable to Zuko, but he's uh, he's not as uh, he's not as deep as Zuko. I'll say, I'll give you that. You know, I love Zuko. <laughs> yeah, Zuko's the man. Um, and then we have Bolin, who is, I would say, the Sokka of the group. He's yeah, comedic relief. Definitely. He's an Earthbender. Um, and I don't know if it's an episode one. I'm probably going to blur all these episodes together, but uh they are important characters or they're they have a reputation in republic city because they are pro benders which is a new application of bending it's a sport a fictional sport made up in the universe of avatar where they are in this arena and they you know bend either these earth discs or fire or water well each uh, team three, has three yeah, v three. yeah yeah 3v3 has a fire water and earth bender which i really like because Obviously, there's not enough airbenders to include that, um, but it mm-hmm. also shows kind of more this unity that they're going for. Whereas before the four nations were really separate, Republic City, you can find one of each bender pretty easily. But uh, pro bending's cool. Out of the gate, pro oh, bending is yeah. probably the coolest thing of season one, in my opinion. But um, uh-huh. I think what's also great about it is they really just throw you into it. We don't know the rules. Cora doesn't know the rules. And we just kind of have to learn as we go. And there are Mm. some intricate rules. Like she gets fouls. She, she like breaks the rules. So uh, Uh it's an interesting introduction. And while it it is prevalent in the story, it's obviously not the main focus of the story. Yeah. As far as fictional sports go, it's up there with like Quidditch. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. yeah, I agree. There's the cool, like the mechanics of it. It's very established. There's a whole system to it, but you know what? JK Rowling's trash. So. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, God, that's such a bummer. Pro bending for the win. Pro benders all the way. Um, but Cora, it just like us is enamored with pro bending right out of the gate, which Mm -hmm. I think is so funny because she, like you said, she's been cooped up with the white Lotus. She's experienced, like she Mm -hmm. gets to the big city. I imagine that's what like someone from, uh, Arkansas, like moving to New York feels like, you know what I mean? They're like, I'm going to make it in the big city. And it's gotta be overwhelming at a time and very jaw dropping. So I think it's cool. They do a good job Mm -hmm. of representing that. Well, I don't think Cora is always like um, the most expressive character. Uh, I do enjoy her, her yeah, uh, arrival to Republic City. City. Um, the, the other reason she's kind of enamored with pro bending is because obviously being cooped up with the white Lotus, she only knows these old forms mm-hmm. of bending that date back to the hundred year war that are more like martial arts, whereas pro bending is it, they've made a sport of it. it. It looks very reminiscent of like boxing, the way they throw jabs at each other. Yeah, that's what, yeah, um, it does. Even, it is very boxing, like and the time period and the announcer mm-hmm. it boxing is yeah. a great comparison to pro bending. And I don't know why I haven't put that together, but even the guy yeah. at the beginning who does the recaps, who's got that old timey announcer voice. I literally can imagine <laughs> a ding, and him going all right in this corner we have Cora, and then da, 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 da. it's oh yeah i didn't even know how i didn't put <laughs> that together it's so because it's literally jabs and that's one thing that's different too cora with most of her bending is looking like she's like actually punching and kicking and fighting you know what <laughs> she's i mean very aggressive she's super aggro yeah. super aggro yeah. compared to ang uh-huh um she even mentions it to probably the next character we should introduce uh tenzin yeah. Uh, who's Aang's son. Oh, isn't this great? 
we get to see Aang's lineage, which is weird to me because he looks just like Aang. None of Katara in him. Tenzin, mm-hmm. which so Katara and Tenzin are mother and son, but they don't. I feel like we don't see them interact for a while. So I almost forget yeah. that he's that that's his mom. I always just uh-huh. I always label him as Aang's son. Yeah. Tenzin's got a famous voice. Quote. Tenzin is who is Ten? Who voices Tenzin? Wait, you really don't know? I do not. It's J.K. Simmons. Jake? No. What? Yeah, bro. Wait, hold. <laughs> Stop. Tell me. <laughs> that is, you you didn't awesome. know that? I did not know that. I never bothered to look that up. It sounds just like him. Now that I think about it. Yeah. That's amazing. You're joking. You really God. didn't know it? I, I, so I this is not. a sequitur. I, I know you love Avatar TikTok. I saw a TikTok that was <laughs> um, J.K. Simmons' voice from the movie Whiplash, which uses a lot of profanity yes. and angry language. And it was like Tenzin's speaking, though. With it. So it's really funny because it sounds just like him, but he's like cussing and, and swearing and yelling at people. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's part of what makes this. So that's what this show really brings to is like Avatar, The Last Airbender has been done. And like famous people are in this show. People love this. Like they watch Mm -hmm. that show and then people were like, oh, I'll be in the continuation. Yeah, that's a legit show. I know that. Like season two. Oscar nominated, isn't he? Oscar winner, maybe? I don't know. I bet he's an Oscar winner. Let's check the Wikipedia real quick. (laughs) He's been on Broadway. He's been on those farmers insurance commercials. He's he's big. He's been on those. <laughs> Oscar nominated. Yeah. I don't know. He's not an Oscar winner. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not good at speed reading. Um, but so, yeah. And then even season two has Audrey Plaza and John Michael Higgins. I I don't recognize the name John Michael Higgins. But you would recognize John Michael Higgins. Sure. He is the teacher in Community who is Carpe Diem. And he's oh, in Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Who who is he in? He's Varric. He's in all. Varric. Okay. I yeah. How oh, for do sure. you I know, know yeah. these voices? And then Aubrey Plaza I, is uh, the water bender that marries yeah. Bolin. I I had a hunch. I had a hunch. Varric was him, but I did just never bothered to look it up. But I, I I was pretty able to place that. I just didn't know what that guy's name was. Um, That's awesome though. J.K. Yeah, this is kind of star-studded cast. Cast. Excuse yeah. me. Um. The J.K. Simmons one, I'm surprised you didn't know. You've watched four seasons of this, and you weren't like, damn, whose voice is that? I Yeah, I wasn't super invested, but I should have been, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, the whole reason Korra goes to Republic City in the first place is it's to, to meet go Tenzin. learn yeah, airbending from Tenzin. Because he's the only airbender, man. He's still the last airbender. Even well, no, no, after uh, the war. No, 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 no. His kids are airbenders. Okay, well, he's the last family, airbending the master. Last airbenders. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but there's that's four of them. There's four of them. Uh huh. That's that's, that's quadruple what there was before. Yeah, and, and I should say that there are other air temples. There are air acolytes, so there are more air nomads, just not airbenders. Uh, yes. Yet. Um. Oh, oh, oh. 
Oh, also, what? just oh, was looking. That a spoiler? No, no, I'm just kidding. I just like that. <laughs> um, also, looking at this right now, I do enjoy that um, we, we skipped over it, but this is created by the same people that created The Last Airbender. It's it's Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko, and they wrote every yeah. single episode I'm looking at Wikipedia yeah. right now, which is pretty cool because, like I said, these guys put a lot of time and effort into the first series, so I like to see them coming mm-hmm. back and uh, working on this project. And another thing to know, it, visually, it looks slightly different it does. Uh, because these uh, are animated, I think, by different studios than that animated the original. And maybe that's um, part of why I don't I don't know. Part of me doesn't connect with this like I did The Last Airbender. I enjoyed it. It's a good story, but it's not something I'm going to rewatch over and over and over and over again. Like I, I took sure, The Last yeah. Airbender. It's a more mature animation style i'll say it's not as cartoony and goofy like even closer to anime than avatar the last airbender already was um and season one animation wise might be my favorite it it looks fantastic well there are there are i think it's like you said it's the only one they actually planned on making at first yeah Yeah, at first when it was nickelodeon commissioned it and they wanted a mini series and so they got uh and this is why I think Cora gets a lot of flack. Nickelodeon said, we want one standalone miniseries of a follow-up. So that they wrote a complete story, gave it to Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon then says, we want to do another one, just one. So they do season two. And then after that, they say, okay, let's do two more seasons. So that's why these seasons Cora kind of feels a little disjointed is because Nickelodeon didn't know what they had on their plate and they were just trying to milk it once they saw that the first one season of uh, Cora was successful. So yeah, I think a lot of the criticisms can, can be blamed on Nickelodeon. Uh, well here, uh, I don't know if you can blame Nickelodeon for this one. Here's a criticism I have of it. A lot of this season one feels like, oh, this person's evil. Oh, nope, they proved us wrong. And then at the end, it's like, oh, no, we were right. It seems (laughs) like I feel like that story happens two or three times in the whole season like with the equalists they'll show up and be like the equalists are at this place and they show up oh no they're not here (laughs) and then someone investigates just a little further and they're like they were underground the whole time like it it doesn't feel as rewarding story-wise some of some of them Mm -hmm. i'll say the world of season one is a lot smaller it all takes place in Republic City. You're not globe trotting mm-hmm. with Team Avatar. You're running through alleys and streets. Even one of the things I love about the fight seasons in this season, it's they're not, you know, it's closer to street brawling. Yeah. They're in these narrow alleyways and corridors, throwing punches at each other. Uh the a lot of times it's dark. The color palette is muted. You know, you don't have these bold, vibrant colors that you're used to from Legend of Korra. So in that way from uh, from last airbender. From yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, in that regard, I think it sets itself apart from the last Airbender and stands out. And it's I, I kind of not. I don't know that I prefer that. You like it a lot more than I, I do. Look, I, I didn't. It works as 
as a whole package. Season one works as a whole package. I agree. I'll give it that. I yeah. I really do. I get what you're saying. Whereas if you look at it like it was supposed to be its own self-contained thing, kind of an offshoot. Mm-hmm. Here's what the the next Avatar had to kind of deal with. Then. Yeah. I, I do enjoy that feel to it, that it is it's about pro bending. It's about city life. It's about small, small town girl in the big city it, with, you know, mm-hmm. with, you know, her having to learn air bending, which we haven't gotten to it because we kind of uh, have uh, segued all around here. But so Tenzin being the last <laughs> airbender, she's trash at air bending. She just can't do it at all. Which. Uh-huh. Is funny because like she's the opposite of Aang, so it'd be it's funny Uh to me that she would struggle at airbending. Yeah, and it's she you know trains alongside Tenzin's children who are (laughs) basically airbending masters in their own right. They just don't have the tattoos and don't have the designation, but they're all pretty great airbenders. And she's you know basically an adult at this point and really struggling with it. Yeah, I, which for her is tough because she mastered the she's been spending the last what 12 15 years being a water bending fire bending earth bending master and she just hasn't been able to she can't even bend there yeah. yeah I really like mm-hmm. I really really like the scene where they're going through I don't even know what to call it it's where they need to dance like a leaf the, the spinning yeah, yeah the, the doors that are spinning and the kids do it no problem easy peasy and then Cora can't do it at all it just ends up fire bending the whole thing down like it's <laughs> such an example of like even if Aang was struggling with an exercise, he's not going to, he's not going to rage quit like Cora did. She, she <laughs> threw the controller at the goddamn TV. Um, yeah. That's just like one of the things where I personally am like, Oh, Cora's so immature. And it's like hard uh, for me to connect with her. Whereas like, I, yeah. I, I I'm more interested in like the brothers this time around, which is maybe bad, but cause Cora's the main character and I, and she's Aang. She is Aang. And I love Aang so much. Yeah. I, it's like, why do I not love Cora as much? It's like a personal struggle I go through. Cora's a little more like tough. Yes. When we first meet her and ready for this, her wise. name's Cora. She knows Katara. You would, if she's not going to be like Aang, you almost expect her to be like Katara. And she's not mm-hmm. like Katara at all. She's, yeah, she's more like <laughs> Toph of the last group, uh, where she's not going to take shit from anyone, but she's more confused. She's very, um, doesn't know what to do. Uh, it's in a lot of situations that I feel like Aang would be very secure in his decision. Mm-hmm. Well, she's, she's been sheltered from it. Yeah, that's true for her whole life where Aang was thrust into a war until you have to fix this, you know, once he woke up from his hundred year slumber. So I think that's uh, people have their gripes about that with Cora, but that like, that's the point. That's her journey. Yeah. That's a good point. Learning to cope with these things. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So season one though, she's learning airbending. She's being a pro bender with uh, Mako and Bolin against Tenzin's wishes really because it's not mm-hmm. traditional bending style the white lotus probably wouldn't like it either and then mm-hmm. the whole time this is going on there is a growing anti bending movement which this this is the part of the story that really captured me is if yeah. if you were a non bender you would probably hate benders right like you yeah. you would have not like inherent jealousy but maybe a little fear mm-hmm. Like, especially if you live beside these, like, it, it's a real interesting political look at 
the mm-hmm. everyday person in this world. Whereas we're used to, you know, Sokka was really the only everyday person we saw before. And mm-hmm. it's a really interesting look at it because these people start to organize and they become the, um, shoot, what's their name? It's it led by, uh, Aman. The equalists. The equalists. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, yeah. The equalists are an anti-bending movement. There's political unrest in Republic City. I think that's why I love season one so much is that it uh, feels closer. It feels like a like season two of The Last Airbender, the second half, where they're in Bossing City, ah. where they explore the political dynamics. Yeah, yeah. They're going like a level deeper than that, like really exploring how people react to bending in the world and what it's like living alongside them. And yeah, there would be people who are not cool with the fact that there's just like an elevated class that has these powers that you don't that can use it to enforce rules and you have really nothing. Yeah, their whole police force it. is metal benders. We'll just touch on that. Mm-hmm. That I would started by started by none other than Toph and her daughter Toph is the one that Fong. runs it. Yeah. Um, which is great. And so that's a great little thing. But it's once again, I'm like, where's Toph? Why are why are they mm-hmm. showing us Toph's daughter but not Toph? But obviously, yeah. as the story continues, that makes sense. So I love what you just said. Is there's like this class above them that's ruling because their police force is literally all metal metal benders, whereas like even like water benders are scared of like these metal benders in the big city because uh-huh. that's their element. Like these metal benders are pretty damn powerful and. I, mm-hmm. I would be scared. I'm not scared yeah. per se, but you would always have that. Oh, damn. If shit goes wrong here, I could be like mm-hmm. in big trouble. Yeah. And so the equalists, they're led by uh, their figurehead, Amon, who's, who's who a, masked, is a masked villain. Always exciting. Uh, and his, you know, the, the reason they follow him, he's got a cult following yeah. because he claims he can take people's bending away. Which, I mean, we'll just get into it. I don't know why we have to. Mm-hmm. He can take people's bending away. True. He, <laughs> he shows that he, and I love this callback to season one because mm-hmm. that was what Aang did to Ozai. And it was the yeah. climax of the whole series. And it was so beautiful and poetic that this one felt very like, when it first appeared, when Amon first did it, I was like, yes, oh, they brought back energy bending or whatever you want to call it, taking away people's bending. Uh-huh. But it's just like a, it's the legacy they leave behind. It's the continuation of their mm-hmm. story is what. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I can see it on your face. It's, <laughs> it's that line from the end of Batman Begins. You know, when Batman is talking to Commissioner Gordon, he's like, you there's going to be escalation. You introduced vigilante justice. Now there's going to be, you know, the Joker. Yeah, there's going to be super villains now, not just regular old villains. There's going to be yes. criminal masterminds now. Yes. And so Aang introduced energy bending. And now people are going to use that and other forms of bending we saw in the first series to they're going to take it to the next step. And yep. it's going to get more powerful. Yep. Um it's great. It's really great uh, when we first see it because it's like, holy shit, that's powerful. And what if he takes mm-hmm. Korra's bending away? What happens then? Mm-hmm. So that was well, yeah. In the first in the first demonstration, Bolin has been captured by them, and he's in the queue to get his bending taken away. 
Uh, but Mako and Korra helping get out of it. And, you know, we've skipped over Asami at this point in the story. She's been introduced as well. Asami is mm-hmm. also love interest. Like, I, there's that's, a love so, triangle. Right. Uh, we'll get into it. There, I have a problem with this also. In this season okay. alone, there are three love triangles. It starts off with Korra, Bolin, and Mako. Uh huh. And, so uh, before I even get into it, love triangles are awkward. I'm sorry. Yeah. I story wise, they make me uncomfortable because I always feel bad for the one that gets left out in the end. Like I don't. Mm. I hate that people find love triangles so interesting because there's inherently yeah. hurt feelings in that. Like they're like, oh, the yeah. one I wanted the, uh, the the two that I wanted to end up together ended up together. Yeah, okay, but what about? What about Bolin, though? Yeah, yeah, it's such a bummer. So that's the first one. But yeah. so then that works out. Mm-hmm. But then it's Mako, Korra, and Asami, and it's mm-hmm. like, what the fuck, Mako? You weren't happy when it was a love triangle with Bolin. Why the fuck are is this happening now? Sorry for cursing. <laughs> it makes me angry. It really does. And then, and yeah. then, for no reason at all, because it doesn't really get addressed, they bring up old love triangle of Tenzin. <laughs> Toph's daughter and Tenzin's wife. It's mentioned very briefly and it's just, uh, it's awkward. It's awkward. Why do we have so many love triangles this season? I'll I'll give you that. One of my biggest gripes with Korra were like the soap opera dynamics, but, but that stuff was all there in Avatar The Last Airbender. They just had more time to explore it. So they wanted to include some of that in what they thought was just going to be one season feels a little crammed in feels a little rushed, maybe underdeveloped. Um, but three, they did they three. Yeah, it's a little heavy handed. <laughs> two of the love triangles involve two of the same people. You think those people would learn from the first one? Yeah. That's one of my criticisms. I feel like Cora doesn't learn. Cora doesn't learn sometimes too from her mistakes. Aang very clearly when he learns from him, like Aang learns and grows throughout the series. I do see Cora mm. grow, but oftentimes I feel like Cora doesn't learn the lesson the first, second, mm-hmm. or third. It's not till like the third or fourth time Cora will really be like, oh. <laughs> I mean, we've basically let's continue talking. What else in season one do we need to cover? There's um, Tarlock who runs Republic City. Yes, he's a Tarlock's waterbender. An character. He's an important yeah. character. He um, he's on the council with Tenzin. There, I don't know. Well, it's like one of each bender. Council. Yeah, it looks like one of each bender. Yeah. They're the city council, and then I think there's a non-bender on there too. Um, who's the president, I think actually. So I think it's the president who's like a non-bender and then the council who's one of each benders. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know at what point, but Tenzin's not Tenzin, but like, um, Tarlock is up to some shady stuff. Uh-huh. He's clearly not like, well, I mean, let's just get into it. I don't know why we're trying to hide spoilers. We, <laughs> we don't have to dance yeah, around it. We don't yeah. have to dance around it. I, we find out that Amon, who's in charge of the Equalist, is brothers uh-huh. with, with Tarlock. Tarlock. They are long lost brothers. And it comes to find out that Amon is taking people's bending because they are both bloodbenders, Tarlock and him. Mm-hmm. Now, did you like this explanation for why he could take away bending, that he was a bloodbender? I kind of took it at face value. Um, 
I like the brothers twist. I like, sure. I like the back, their backstory. Yeah. Um, I did like their backstory didn't too. Really ex- explore the logic of nope. his ability. No, nope. they I, don't really ever explain it. I but. don't understand how blood bending takes away someone's bending. Yeah. And in, in that regard, if he's able to take it away, why is Katara not able to restore it? If she can also technically knows how to blood bend. She does. Um, so this is nice too. like we mentioned with the lightning bending where it's more commonplace. Blood bending is like highly outlawed and illegal, but there, there are more people that know how to do it now. There's a lot more people that know yeah. how. And I like that. It's it's once again that legacy, that continuation. This is a long time from now, so these things would get out. They would become more public. It'd be it's like a dark art. Yeah. I I kind of like it that it's Ooh, yeah. you, you know what I mean. It's kind of it's like a mm-hmm. forbidden uh, forbidden technique. Yeah, but the reason they're so powerful is because they don't need the full moon to do it. They can do it um, any old day of the week. Uh, and Aman is a more powerful bloodbender than Tarlock is. And they're both descendants of um, a republic, like in a republic city gangster. Yeah, from back in the day, which we wouldn't have known from the previous series or anything. His name's Yakon. I don't know. Yeah, but he was a gangster who had this ability to do psychic bloodbending any day of the week, and he had faced Team Avatar, and he was able to take on Aang, and uh, Aang was able to beat him, and eventually took his bending away. So there's kind of this like karmic vengeance story of like Mm -hmm. feuding bloodlines and it all comes together nicely, I think. Yeah, I didn't actually think about it that way. It is cool that so Aang took away their dad's bending and then Amon's like, guess what, Korra? I'm going to take your bending away now. Vengeance. (laughs) It is kind of cool. That's one of the few clips we get to see of adult Aang. What do you think of adult Aang with his beard? (laughs) He's That's the most notable difference is he's got a beard. Yeah. It's off putting, but it is. I appreciate off. that we get a glimpse. Yeah, I don't, you know, he looks, it's, he looks it's a relief to see him. Adult Aang looks like knockoff Tenzin. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> like a bad cosplayer, Tenzin. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got no problem That's with how funny. Tenzin looks. I, I don't know why. Yeah. But for some yeah, reason, his player is, is on point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, getting all the girls, too, as we saw. He's in a love mm-hmm. triangle. <laughs> I can't stand <laughs> it, dude. It, oh, it's going to come up so many times. It's such a, a gripe of mine. Um, here's one for you. I don't expect you to know this, but do you know who voices Yakon? No. Why? No. Sorry. I, I have to give this guy a shout out. The voice actor, his name, most people are probably not familiar with. Uh, is Clancy Brown, and I just had to give him a shout out because not only does he voice Yakon, he voiced Long Fang from oh. Avatar: The Last Airbender. Okay, he voiced Lex Luthor in Superman: The Animated Series. Oh, and probably most well known for Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob SquarePants. No way! <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, he, I'm glad you called that out. I was really confused where yeah. this was going. <laughs> And he, he voices a minor character in season the three or four of Core, I think. But Whatever, Mr. Krabs. Like one episode what, yeah. Oh, baby boy. Yeah, Mr. Krabs. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. Yeah, so I just had to give him a shot. He's like a very uh, 
he's out there. If you like, you'll hear his voice the next time you watch something he's in. Lex Luthor and uh, Mr. Krabs, like the, both man. greedy sons of bitches. He's like as established as Mark Hamill as a voice actor. He's he's Mark been, Hamill was in this too. Voice. Yeah, he's been voicing characters for like the past twenty years that you just haven't, you know been aware of and that's what's great about cartoons really though awesome. is these people are very talented with their voice i'm not that talented you guys hear my voice it's not it's not anything special um, nothing to write home nothing about. to write home about but so season one of cora i mean let's give it not let, let, let's kind of wrap it up here what are your takeaways thoughts pros cons favorite parts favorite fights give me just basically yeah. tell me everything evan <laughs> <laughs> um I love season one of Korra. My only gripe with it is the soap opera stuff. It was rushed. Uh, probably didn't need to be in there, the relationship dynamics of it all. But the fighting, just the overall aesthetic of it, because it does change. After two, three, and four, a lot more colorful. Yep. You start to leave Republic City. I like that it's so confined. Um, Amon is probably my... Amon's a good villain. He's a good villain. He might be my favorite. He's... tied for favorite villain of Korra. Um, Yeah. Because he is is actually terrifying. Like Korra has uh, like PTSD of like, she's worried about getting her bending taken away, which he does at one point. He takes away. We didn't even touch on this. He takes away her bending. We didn't even. Yeah. Let's touch on this. This is an important part. He does take away her bending. One of their confrontations. We're doing a poor job of going through the season, but we're just talking about the series. as Yeah. 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 But this is a, this is a cool Um, part because it really affects Korra the the whole rest of the series. Yeah. Korra and Mako infiltrate the equalists. Amon finds them. You know, has a showdown with him and does take her bending away. And he's about to do it to Mako when, like, for whatever reason, that moment allows her to tap into air, air and be able to airbend. She can't do the other three at this moment, but she can airbend. And that's and what shoot. saves her. But ready for this? While it is such an epic moment in the series, because you're like, holy crap, it, it, she just lost her bending and she does finally learn to airbend. I was excited to see book one air. I wanted to see her learn airbending. It's the one we never the saw. Philosophy of yes, it. it's yeah. the one we never saw That's Aang true. learn. And then it's just a cheap, oh my God, now all of a sudden she can airbend. And Ah, yeah. it, that's what while an epic I moment that is one thing I was excited about going in was learning the philosophy of air and we really because she struggled at it so hardly she had to do it her core away yeah. we never saw her really we don't spend much time with it no that's true and so I'll give you that. But I will without giving too much spoilers to the next podcast they do touch more on it later which I enjoy mm-hmm. and that's re- yeah. that's why I like the later seasons maybe a little better um other thing oh we do so, I mean, that moment where she airbends and uh, stops him on, she exposes him, one, as a bender because he's knocked into the water. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. He he's, comes, a fraud. he's a fraud. He's a fraud. He's leading yeah, a he's leading this movement. <laughs> uh, and so that's how he gets exposed, exposed and he has to run away. And then he uh, grabs his brother Tarlock who he had captured and they flee. And this is one of my favorite moments of the season. Yeah. They're having this real heart to heart. Amon's like, um, you know, we'll start over just brothers. You know, we missed out on all these years together. Mm-hmm. Just going to be you and me like the good old days or whatever. And, and Tarlock's like, yeah, you'd like the good old days. And he puts on, so this one weapon they've been, the equalists have been using uh, are these gauntlets 
that can electrocute you because the equalists a lot of them are trained chi blockers and now this I is love that chi blocking tool. is back too Ty Lee's chi blocking yes. is back and it's more yeah. widespread more people know it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so that's that that's why this movement has some you know merit to it like they can stand up to benders um but they have these gauntlets that electrocute and they benders. stun they stun basically and they, yeah they stun them and in their last moment together Korra doesn't stop Amon. Tarlock stops Amon yeah. because they're fleeing on a boat. Tarlock, in the most fucking badass moment, unscrews the gas cap to the boat, electrocutes, electrocutes the gas tank, and blows both of them up. Yeah. I it's agree. fucked up. It's it, a Nickelodeon show. It's a Nickelodeon show. Murder suicide <laughs> for the win. Um, it was amazing. It's, it's interesting that it was like Amon kind of let down his guard it was like we're gonna do yeah. we're gonna start over I, I think i think he knew though Ooh, he was shedding a tear maybe i thought he it was like a happy know. tear like uh we could no you thought it was this is the end here oh okay that is a great moment of the series and so ready for this i think the yeah. the the end really saves season one without the ending mm-hmm. being as good as it was. I don't know. I returned for season two. If I'm being honest, I had a lot of problems with wow. it. Okay. I felt very like, Oh, this is not the show I fell in love with before, but I am glad I stuck with it. I'm going to uh, spoilers. It's, I'm very glad I stuck spo- with the series. It's, it's not, not the same. Be a continue. I know. I know. But that was part of what I wanted going in. It was, yeah, it, it was part fair. of what I wanted. I'll be honest. I can be honest but about you, it. But you have to respect it on its own, you know, but part of season one is literally Cora standing in the shadow of Aang in Republic city. There's a yeah. giant, Big ass. That's how they start every episode, actually. That's how they start every episode. She's in the show. Wow. That's what season is doing. It's stepping out of that shadow. That's metaphorical. I really like that you said that because there's a lot of that this whole season of Korra feeling in Aang's shadow and specifically not being able to learn airbending is a big like. And so. Wow, uh, that's that's a cool connection I didn't make because they literally start every episode her standing in the same pose as the mm-hmm. as the Aang statue. What a power move on the creator's part! They know exactly what they their do. Fans These want. two are geniuses. And they say, "No, we're not going to give it to you. We're just going to tease you a little bit." <laughs> yeah. Here's Cora. Kids. We see a double soccer for like a second. Literally, mm-hmm. maybe two, three seconds. It's uh, and that's all yeah. we see in the series of him. Yeah. Oh, the other thing I don't want to forget is in the season finale, Cora still hasn't gotten her bending back. She is in the Southern Water Tribe to try and be healed by Qatar to get it back, but it doesn't work. So she can only bend air at this moment. Yeah. She goes to this glacier cliff to the edge of the water. She sheds a tear, and then you see. You know, what you think is Tenzin approaching to console her. She's like, Tenzin, go away. And then it's not Tenzin's voice because it's uh, it's adult Aang's voice. Yeah. And she's like, whoa. Like, she has been this, like, traumatic experience has allowed her to tap into her more self-reflective spiritual side. And Aang even says, I'm probably going to mess it up. But when you reach your lowest point, uh, you're open to the greatest change. Ooh. Right. And there's this one specific Avatar TikTok that I watched that contended that Korra was there to commit suicide. She was standing Whoa. on the edge of her. 
her teardrop literally falls over the edge of the cliff. Damn, yeah. bro. Ooh. And that would that make sense why Aang had to step yeah. in and at, whoa. Because yeah. her whole that's life, heavy. she's trained for one purpose, to be the after, and now she can't. Now she can't and be. So she's, yeah, she's worthless. She feels worthless. So she figures so, she might as well restart the cycle. Damn. Damn, damn, yeah. damn. Yeah, because she she at that point, she thinks she's not getting her bending back, no matter what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean, that really kind of shifted my perspective on it, whether I choose to believe if that's true or not. But like there are levels of depth. Art art is open to interpretation. All art is. And so. Uh, But he energy bent. He spirit bends her. And because that's what Aang does best. Aang is such a good (laughs) spirit bender. He picks up people's spirits throughout ah love him love him but so (laughs) season one like we said they weren't planning on doing it but then they do come back with season two uh so let's jump into that one actually so season two is called spirits correct me if i'm wrong uh i I think so i don't know book of spirits okay yeah book two spirits yes and it picks up pretty closely after the end of season one oh yeah where republic city's pretty much restored to order tenzin's planning on going on a little vacation to visit the air temples love that i Uh, love that he's going to visit the air temples hold on we missed one vital character not vital okay but in the finale of season one general iroh the grandson of god yes dante bosco what a great touch so like even as which is his great grandson zuko because Uh, it's not his kid yeah not his kid. No, it's his grandson. I think, it's, I think it's his grandson. Oh, is it? Okay, okay, okay. I don't know. I could be wrong, but it's voiced by Dante Bosco. It's such a great and touch. And her, her there's, is like there's just enough of those teases yeah. to like really make it does make it feel connected, which is nice. Her and uh, him and Cora hit it off, and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. ditch Mako, date General Iroh. <laughs> He's a stud. Oh yeah. And he looks like Zuko without a scar. It's so cute. It's so, and it's voiced yeah. by the same. Ah, uh, uh, you're right. That is such a great moment. I actually thought it was in season Can't two for some reason, one. but you're right. It's the, it's at the end of season one. Let's start with season two. Season two is a book two spirits. It's the first book we have named not after an element. Um, and obviously it was going to be mm-hmm. not named after an element since the other ones are taken. And I think they did a fine job with the name because that is representative of what this book's all about. Um, yeah. But if I didn't like, I liked book one more than I liked book two. Uh, <laughs> book two is the the weakest in the series for me. Absolutely. And it's not like things don't happen and funny parts don't happen and it's not interesting, but just something about it really loses me and it's hard to watch. It feels repetitive. Um, I have a theory. Slow. Okay. I have a theory. So uh, the main storyline in season two is that Korra's uncle, who is the chief of the two water tribes combined. Northern. Oh yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Cause it's about to be a civil war. He wants to combine the two water tribes to make it one, but he also his like evil villain plot is <laughs> to open up the spirit portals and unlock the spirit of darkness Vatu. Oh, or whatever. You they know get what? into and the mythology, so, which is I probably the coolest when they, part. Yes, that's actually one of the best parts of the whole series when they go yeah. back to the first Avatar. God, so I apologize for crapping on this book this much. I'm that's not a big right. fan. 
of most of it, but I That's do okay. absolutely love when they go back to the origin of the Avatar. So he wants to open the world back up to the spirit realm and allow spirits to travel back and forth, blah, blah, blah. He thinks mm-hmm. humans have gotten too far away from spirituality. Um, and so you see in it start, the opening scene is like a dark spirit attacking a boat or something. So you see dark spirits and eventually you see you how he uses that. water bending to calm to it. I don't even yeah. know to control yeah, sure. it. Yeah. And uh, Cora wants to learn that because she feels like, as we mentioned just in the last one, she was feeling pretty useless mm-hmm. and down on herself. And yeah. so she's like, this is how I could probably be more useful and helpful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's the central plot as he's trying to unleash these dark spirits. But you don't know that about him yet. No. And so right out of the gate, this civil war starts, basically, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he's from the northern tribe. We find out that. Cora's dad was from the Northern Water Tribe and got exiled mm-hmm. for flooding the spirit forest in the Northern yeah. Tribe years and years ago. Uh, and Cora's uncle's kind of a dick to everyone besides Cora. Mm-hmm. He really, she really warms up to him because she, she thinks he. Her cousins come. This is where Audrey, Audrey Plaza's character, Eska. Aubrey. Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> now that I've made that clear, uh, I think it's kind of a one note character. <laughs> I don't care for Eska. So boring. And I was so, so excited boring. when you find but out it's was, her voice. Yeah, that was probably the height of Parks and Rec, though. So it was probably such a huge land for them to get her as a voice actor. But I don't care for I'm sure that it character. Was. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Like, um, I, I, like Aub- I like Aubrey, but I don't like Eska. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was I going to say? Okay, so th- this is my theory. They spend a lot of their time fighting spirits, whatever, like ultimately that those are the majority of the fights and every other season fights have been between two benders, two benders, two people. There are interpersonal stakes on both sides for each one in season two, the main villains, there are no stakes. They're expendable. It's the problem with Marvel movies. It's why, uh, you know, Captain America Civil War is the m- most poignant one because they're not fighting the aliens. They're not fighting robots. They're fighting each other. There's interpersonal stakes. There's like. You're so yeah. right. Yeah. So that's, you, you hit the nail on the head what the problem with this season is because every like single fight mean anything. None of the fights mean anything. I guess the Civil War kind of does, but even yeah. then, it, we don't see a lot of like physical fighting. That's a lot of like political <laughs> There's drama. There's maybe three or four. Bender like bending fights between sure the there are some are but it, yeah. it's not the focus of the season it's them versus these spirits and mm-hmm. you're right I don't care I, I one don't care if the spirits lose and two I know they're probably not going to lose to Korra <laughs> and our main characters yeah. like let's just be real here yeah. like so I think one of the things I really liked about this season was this is where Bolin becomes a mover star <laughs> this is like <laughs> I, I know that I'm probably skipping around a bit, but um, yeah. it's one of the things that becomes so, a movie star. Yeah, because no, it's a mover star. Okay, my my bad, my bad. I love that they create movies and they're so close oh, well, to what yeah. they're actually called. They call them movers. 
<laughs> I don't know why. That's really funny to me, though. And it's great that Bolin, and he's not an earthbender, which he can actually bend earth, which would be great special effects, but they mm-hmm. make him a waterbender, so they have to do cheesy <laughs> special effects every time. I, but, I just watched this episode. It's so funny yeah. because in like the black and white, at the premiere of his movie, like they have naga in makeup yeah. as a character and he like high fives naga in the movie at one point and they have fake paws like prop paws to high it's five. so funny it's so it's funny really to good. me because it's such a horrible movie but mm-hmm. because it's the first one they're all in awe of it everyone loves it <laughs> that is one of the best scenes when they're premiering the movie which is like straight propaganda yeah. which it's we can get into that fight. yeah and then they get into an actual fight on in the arena but so this 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 chapter two gets away from a lot of the stuff we liked in season one. I feel like like the pros in season one, this one, like the love triangle kind of continues. So they continue mm. the stuff we don't like. They take yeah. us out of the city setting. Not that there's anything wrong with the Southern Water Tribe, but that's we, we like bounce between the two settings more so. And uh-huh. um, and the equalist, which were really, really good enemies. They like they were, had a, they, were they had a, villains. They had a solid reason to be villains. They're yeah. they're non-existent anymore. Yeah. Um it is much more colorful. Tenzin and his family we spend more time with uh we meet Tenzin's siblings so we learn that Aang uh had three Katara kids. Had, had three kids. Tenzin the airbender, Boomy, uh Boomy <laughs> who's and, also just like King Boomy, his yeah. namesake. It's yeah, yeah. hilarious. He's well, is it General Boomy? He's like a war hero. I think he's retired by season two. He's yeah, yeah, he, he is uh, a war hero. Um, yeah. and Kaya, who is a waterbender. Um, so they with the kids and Pema, I think they travel the the different air temples to just to learn a little bit more about their heritage. So you do do yeah. some globe trotting corridors of traveling but. but like the globe trotting in avatar or excuse me the last airbender had like stakes they were being chased they needed to mm-hmm. learn things they needed to go place they're just on vacation the globe trotting yeah. is for globe trotting <laughs> sake it, it just yeah. doesn't have the same feel ah, it's so rough this is the one like i said like if I said if the ending of season one wasn't so strong, I wouldn't have continued to season two. If people hadn't have told me season three was so awesome, I might not have continued after season two. They're like, really? they're okay. yeah, they're they're really like weaving me in and out. If that makes sense, uh-huh. there's some things yeah. I really really enjoy, but then there's other parts where I'm like, what are we doing here right now? <laughs> no, I get that for sure. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, the Nuktuk mover. In the arena, in the arena, that's probably my favorite fight scene. It's a great scene. Season. Great because scene. I would agree. It highlights Bolin, who is even though he's a main character, he's kind of the Sokka of the group. He doesn't get the spotlight as much. He doesn't get as he's many cool moments. And this is just him taking on like four or five waterbenders, saving the president of Republic City, uh, and and busting that whole plot while doing a fight in the mover. While like it's it's a, a yeah. very yeah it's so really cool. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really cool scene. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's in the pro bending arena. That's one of the things we liked about season one. Yeah. And so that's the only fight we see in the pro bending arena this season. We might see some casual B roll of people doing it, but like we don't, yeah. uh, we're not like, because the team breaks up. They're not able to pro bend without Korra. 
Yeah. Oh, well, no, no. You know what we do ready for this. I don't know if this is this season or last season. There is a pro bender. It's like, it's, it's season one. It's another voice. It's a pro bender. Um, who's like their main pro bender they fight against. And like he's the one or something. The one. Yeah. The and player. he gets his, yeah. Yep. He's got purple yep. hair and he gets his stuff taken away from Amon. He's mm-hmm. voiced by Rami Malek. What? Yeah. That's Mr. Awesome. Robot that's slash. Like that's yep. Yep. That's before he, like blew, he blew up. up. Wow. Yep. Amazing. I just, the voice was bugging me. It was another one. I was like, I know this <laughs> voice. How do I know this voice? And I was like, Oh, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. No, just wow. <laughs> um wow okay they have a lot of great voices yeah i think something i'm starting to realize is that like in season two specifically and maybe even continued into three and four like team avatar the second iteration 2.0 is not together all that often they're kind of doing their own things in this season i forget what Korra's off like learning spirit bending or fighting her uncle or whatever mako is a, beat a police cop. officer. A beat <laughs> cop. <Yeah. laughs> he totally is. He really yeah. is. It's like a crap yeah, job. He's got the movers, yeah. <laughs> so like it's just disjointed, and you don't because I mean Avatar: The Last Airbender. They're they spend together all four the whole time. Together the whole time, basically. Um. So yeah, yeah and this is where they split off, and then they, they even in season three they like interweave. They don't connect fully till for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but so let's see, season two here. There's the civil war, the movers, uh, the spirits, uh, the the grandmaster plan. So I, I think we should get to the meat and potatoes of this. Is the the first Avatar story because, like I said, it's yes. the most important. It does like. I'm not so keen on like, uh, so like the two spirits, the dark and light spirit, Rava and Vatu, that part of it is all. Yeah. What uh, for me? <laughs> I could you know, take I, it or I leave enjoyed, it. Yeah, I could take it or leave it, but I enjoyed the lion turtles and the first yes. people and how they mm-hmm. would, the lion turtles would lend their bending to them yeah. as they would go out into the wild or free world. And it's done in a different animation style. This whole story. Cause yeah. I think it's, is the it two episodes they do it maybe two so. or three. Yeah. yeah, it's two. I think um, it's done in a different animation style. And another Harry Potter callback is it reminds me of uh, in the deathly hollows when they go over the story of the deathly hollows, they mm-hmm. do like a really creepy animation style. And this one's not creepy, but it's, it's like, more like a, like an Asian watercolor. Yeah look yeah uh, kind of it looks like, like a, a painting story, it looks yeah, like a painting yes yeah. it's um, great it's really well done and, and so the first avatar's name was juan avatar Wan, voiced by avatar Wan. oh i don't know who is it steven yoon from the walking dead you're Glenn. joking what oh, a great they have great, great voices cast, throughout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what a great cast um it, it, from uh, the TV show, I think you should leave. He's like, then eat the receipt. <laughs> He's like, give me the receipt so I can eat it. <laughs> he had a mud pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, too random, too obscure, too obscure. Um, but so essentially, um, Avatar Juan. No, I'm just kidding. Avatar Juan um, gets exiled. Yeah, and he thinks his way to make it is to go out on one of these hunts uh mm-hmm. so he so he can get firebending but then he doesn't give it back he um he kind of steals it 
Uh, but then they banish him and he convinces the lion, lion turtle to let him keep it so he can survive in the wild. And, That's right. he, and, and he survives. It's the spirit world. It's, so it's and like, he eventually befriends spirits and he kind of becomes their protector from humans. Yep. It's great. And he's a firebender. I really think it's, I don't know why, but I love that the first bender was, or the first avatar was a firebender. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting to me. I think it's in and, line with the the personalities, the, the philosophies we, we define. I don't think an air, an airbender would have that aspiration. You know what I mean? Like you're so right. Firebenders have the drive and desire. And so he went around after his exile, he went to all the different lion turtles. He didn't mm-hmm. know. I think it's cool. They didn't know there was other different lion turtles. It's like they were mm-hmm. in there. It's, I don't know. It's a really interesting story. They weave in such in only two episodes and see, that's one of the things I loved about the first series is they packed a lot of lore into little moments in mm-hmm. this one. I feel like we're not in, in Cora. We're not as much expanding on the lore of things. It's very interpersonal lessons learned, which are fine and all, but I love the lore of this world. It's one of the things that drew me in. And in these two yeah. episodes, they do a great job expanding on this early times before there was, uh, you know, civilizations and the, before the spirit world and human world were truly divided. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, the first series is like a war epic, like the Odyssey yeah. or something. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good analogy. This, but this feels <laughs> like the Hobbit. This feels yeah. like The Hobbit yes. compared to Lord of the Rings to me. And yeah. they, they very are comparable. That's like The Hobbit's not bad. Like I watched all The Hobbits, but mm-hmm. I wasn't in love with them like I am Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so Avatar collects all yeah, four bending it, 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 And it's off his drive. I really like that you said that. He's like, I need these if I'm going to survive in the spirit world. So he goes and collects all four of them. Yeah. I I love that the airbenders had different tattoos back then. Yes. Uh, so they were able to fly back then because they hey. did not have earthly attachments, which comes back later mm-hmm. in the series. And, you know, I didn't catch it till I rewatched it. But when I was watching mm-hmm. it before, I was like, oh, that's cool. The airbenders can fly. Um, yeah. But do they do they actually they even said because they don't have attachment to. Um, well, or are you just take it? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Speculation from a TikTok because they hadn't met the Sky Bisons yet, so they didn't have. Yeah. Tech. So what I I choose to believe that I think that's a good explanation. It is kind of <laughs> rewriting history a little bit. A little bit because weren't they supposed to learn from? Yeah, didn't they learn from the Sky Bisons, the moles, the dragons, then the moon? Yeah. So, Maybe that's where the lion turtles learned it. I don't know. Who knows. I feel like they're too smart for that to be a loophole. Maybe there's just like a comic book I haven't read or something, but there are a lot of comics we haven't read slide. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, But so while Tenzin, so we learn about this mostly to learn about Rava and Vatu. Mm -hmm. Um, Now see, this is their names are made up to me, so I may mix them up. Rava Uh, is the light spirit. Yep. And Vatu is the dark spirit. So Rava is the spirit that I guess like allows the avatar to have all four elements to continue mm-hmm. the reincarnation cycle. And Vatu is trapped in the tree of time in the spirit world. Yeah. Rava is the external hard drive of the cycle of avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good description. <laughs> 
But I, I don't care for that bit of the mythology. No. I don't know what Mm-mm. it is. And they look I like I didn't kites. need an explanation. Like, ready for know. this? Take Rava and Vatu out of it. Show us how Juan got all the elements and I, call it a day. Like, I don't understand yeah. why we... And so I guess it's kind of interesting that um, Tanrock is uh, trying to become the dark avatar. Like, it's mm. interesting that someone else is trying to become... Unalak. Oh, excuse also, me. Yes, I'm sorry. Also, all the, the Water Tribe guys in this series, their names sound the same. Amon's real name is Noatok, Tonrock, <laughs> Unalak. I yeah, don't know what Kor's yeah. dad's name is, but it's probably similar to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. Um, But so, it is kind of cool. He's trying to become the Dark Avatar, and he needs Vatu to do that. But I just didn't need uh, this explanation. I feel like it was... Uh, it's just... It, it's bogging down what yeah. was such a great or a simplistic story like mm-hmm. no one was questioning why the avatar is reincarnated and because the world needs to be balanced it just it made sense i mm-hmm. uh, i think these guys yeah. are very smart like we said i think they know what they're doing but i agree with you there's clearly a difference here of them saying okay we're gonna have four seasons of the legend of Korra versus mm-hmm. doing it almost season by season yeah um another thing another gripe i have with this season specifically is it is for the most part animated by a different studio and there are in the first season yeah wow and there are a lot of times where it is noticeably the animation is so static like like especially during dialogue like just the mouths are moving and they only do medium shots of like you know that is the exact opposite of the last airbender the last airbender while people are talking or there's something in the background or they are moving it is it's or they're they're like it it is no you're 100 right it is noticeable that like especially when someone's talking it is just their mouth moving whereas in avatar they like make a point not to do that and like some of the fight scenes the, the fight scenes are maybe better animated than that maybe they just saved their labor hours for those scenes specifically but man there was this i think it uh in maybe Varric's introduction or when they start doing the movers like Varric introduces the 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 bombshell you know the actress who's going to start alongside Bolin and like she doesn't move for like 15 seconds <laughs> while he's talking i was like what is this <laughs> it's uh, yeah i agree and so while i love where the story is going on first watch i struggled this season i really mm-hmm. did the only thing that really caught my interest was the story of avatar juan and God, I love that that's uh, Stephen Yu. Um, but and but like we said, even the draws of like Eska as Aubrey Plaza, it's just mm-hmm. it, it, she's so one note, that character. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, her and Bolin's relationship, but parts mm-hmm. of it are not funny. And it, man, I'm not into the whole relationship drama. For some reason, Aang and Katara was really compelling to me. And so was suki and Sokka, but you know what it's because that feels earned it feels like we earned that this feels very just like we need we need this dynamic we need a relationship yeah and so and see i don't even know where we're at in the love triangle what's going on with like well okay uh mako and are dating at the beginning they break up 
Mako dates Asami. Korra has amnesia. You're she right. comes she comes back, back kisses she her. Like, this is, kisses. Yeah, it's just like, come on. I don't There's need no that. I don't need that. Why are we yeah. still on this love triangle? It makes it awkward and someone's going to get hurt. And we know how it ends. Yeah. But um, yeah. we'll get into that into the next one. But um, I... Uh, one thing I will say what, say about Korra's journey is in the beginning of this, when she's like hardcore a fan of Unalak, she's like, I need this training, blah, blah, blah. Fuck you, Tenzin. Uh, and Mako's kind of like, well, Tenzin's just, you know, trying to do what's best trying for you. Like he's trying to help in his way, whatever. And Cora, there are a couple moments in the early episodes where she's like, why are you always, you know, taking Tenzin inside? Why are you? And Mako's like, what is with you insides? And it comes back to, to bite her when there's unrest between the two water tribes and she's trying to stop oh. southern water tribe members from attacking the northern water tribe members and they're like why are you taking sides and she's like i'm not but then she doesn't even the- learn from that because there's like the next episode she's like talking to mako why are you always taking like come on you're right Cora. <laughs> bro and this is what i was talking about cora doesn't learn and that would have been such a nice lesson it's literally so symmetrical that it starts with her being mad at Mako for always taking other people's sides. And then the whole season, like the whole civil war arc is everyone being upset that she's not, or like that she's taking the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And it would be so nice if she could learn from that and maybe even wrap it up in a summary, but I missed that. I'm glad you said it because I wouldn't have caught it because you're right. The very next episode, she's mad at Mako again, probably for taking Tenzin's side. Yeah. And so, yeah, this season falls flat. And like, like you were saying with Robin Vatu, eventually, especially towards the season finale, like, okay, you've gone to such great lengths to explain the how, the mythos of the Avatar, but I feel like I start to lose track of that logic. I, especially towards yeah. the end, it's like, okay, if Unlock does this on harmonic convergence, then that equals this <laughs> for Vatu can break free. But if he doesn't open this portal, but that portal, like by this time, it's to, like you already started explaining it. So now I want it to all make sense because, like, even when Juan first uh, taps into the Avatar state, like v- uh, Rava's very vocally saying, "You can't hold all four elements at once." He says, "No, I can do it," and he's having trouble with it, and he touches a portal, and it allows him to why why i want to know (laughs) like we we didn't go we skipped over that this doesn't make sense to me so there's i mean i'm sure there's an explanation but i just start to lose track of it you know Um, like you said we we get a lot of the how but we lose a lot of the why avatar was very much like why are we fighting why is this happening why do i feel this way whereas here Mm -hmm. it's like oh i feel this way because of mako like yeah (laughs) yeah I don't want to say it feels more childish, but it feels more um, it it feels more shallow. It's not as deep yeah. as the last Airbender. Yeah, this season specifically. I, I mean, this season, whole, yeah, I and you know what? To... Because ready for this, season three is one of my favorite seasons of any of Avatar. I, I so like I don't want to. I don't want fans out there listening right now being like, "Oh, this is going to be a super negative podcast." I love season three and I like season four a lot of Korra. And honestly, if it didn't have three and four, we wouldn't be podcasting about it because I, like I said, I like where they're going right now. It feels Mm -hmm. like they're taking a lot of side trips, stuff that doesn't matter, but Mm -hmm. the trauma and the experiences that Cora is building is going to 
come to head in some really emotional and powerful scenes later on, if that makes sense. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And the, I mean, season two is an easy watch. You can get through it. Yeah. Like it's, you're not going to be so bored out of your mind. Like Mm-mm. I would say, well, like, you're going to watch it. In, yeah. You're going to watch it and be like, Alex was being way too hard on it. I enjoyed <laughs> it. But of yeah. just, I mean, if you rank it, so there's three of the last ever and four in Cora. It's it's the bottom of the bottom for me. It's the last one for me. But yeah. so it's a, they're both great series. So it's like the best or it's like the worst of a great series. So it's still good. It's still good TV. I watched it. I've watched it more than once. Uh, I'm not saying like avoid it, but yeah. just it, it loses me at some points. Uh, some of the story is a bit confusing, like you said. Um, I do like, though, I know you were into the kind of the darker city look. I do like that uh-huh. we get more back into exploring the world a little bit and that it gets a little lighter if that makes sense because that is something i enjoyed from the first series but like i said it it feels like traveling for the sake of traveling like a vacation Mm -hmm. like uh not like a journey if you will yeah it also ends with so unalak unalak eventually does free the dark spirit vatu combines with him becomes the dark avatar and like the the big climax of it is they turn into giant spirit forms of themselves and have a giant like, <laughs> ready for this fight over they Republic love those City. godzilla fights oh my god I'm, yeah it doesn't it's literally like someone was like how do we make these fights more epic and they were like make them bigger and i yeah. like to me that's yeah. not like so the best fight in the whole series is ang versus ozai it wasn't because like they unlocked some new special power or like you get what I'm saying. Like now I've, yeah. now my power levels are higher than they were ever. It, yeah. Uh, they used I, their environments. Like the set pieces yeah. were interesting. Not that the Republic stakes, city isn't. There was a, but like Unalak or excuse me, like the dark avatar versus Korra. It doesn't feel earned at all. There was not enough buildup to this. Like yeah. it's not this grandiose, ending that we've come to know and love from the last airbender Mm -hmm. and i think part of it is it almost felt like an unnecessary escalation it was like okay we saw republic city in danger last time but now the world is in danger whereas like (laughs) in the last airbender there's a steady build to that because it's one one continuous story whereas this one is obviously disjointed for the reasons we mentioned but it's like, okay, we just had uh, Republic City under siege in season one. How do we step that up? Make them big, like fight <laughs> each other over the city. I don't know. I just, I think you're right. It didn't feel earned. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't not, feel earned. Not, not it, my like, cup of tea. No, and so, like I said, it's watchable. It's doable. It's not my favorite of the series. Um, at the very end, Cora and Mako finally end their relationship. And I'm pretty sure that's the last time they are romantically yeah. involved. Thank yeah. God. Just, I'm going to be honest. Like The relationship drama is not what does it for me. And yeah. that also, that doesn't feel earned. That doesn't feel like there was enough buildup to it all. It feels messy and chaotic, which, you know what? Sometimes love is like that, though. So who am I to judge? I mean, I feel like it does a disservice to, I mean, they establish a good relationship. They go through a lot of stuff in season one, you know, Mako saves her from when she, 
like right after she gets her bending taken away. Like they've been through some traumatic stuff. I wish they would have like explored that in a little more depth. Not saying that it needed to be in a relationship or anything, but like, I don't know. Season two just felt like they were having these relationship spats just to have them. And like, it didn't feel interesting to me. No. And that's part of my problem with Cora. And especially in this season, you were talking about how she's always mad with Mako for taking sides Uh, and she never learns from it. It's the same thing over and over. It feels like we do like six episodes of in a row of them fighting about the same thing. And that's how she is basically. That's her. That's how she is. Yeah. And it takes some getting used to. Yeah, it, it takes some getting used to. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, well, would, you, oh, do you have any? Go ahead. Yes, we have to talk about this because after the, um, not even in the last episode. It's, this is before the big fight, the big okay. giant spirit fight. While well, they're still in the spirit, the Godzilla world, fight. Um, this is where I lose track of the logic. Unlock. <laughs> And Batu destroy Rava or beat Rava oh, and, what? and destroy the Avatar cycle, so she loses all of the. She can't connect knowledge. to the past avatars. Yeah, narratively, I understand. It feels like such a loss because this is the last <laughs> time. Whoa, we're not gonna see Aang ever again. No, I understand or Roku. why they need you know I love Avatar yeah. Roku. He's gone. Yeah, I understand why they needed to. And for Cora's character, as a finale point, it would have been great saying, "But because she she gets Rava back, and so she's the new. She starts a new cycle. She's the first one in this new cycle, this ten thousand year cycle. So narratively, if that were the end of the series, as much as the series wasn't that great, or that season wasn't that great, like that point specifically, I get it. They're leading you on this point of, oh, she's starting a new cycle. Awesome, I love that, but." It's like knowing we come back for two more seasons and we'll never be able to see Aang again does feel like a real that that hits you hard. It's a loss. That's a loss. It is a loss. Yeah. At the end, she does open the spirit portal for good, and yeah, it does so the change the world through. drastically. Yeah. And we'll obviously uh, get more into that with the next podcast covering season three and four, but yeah. um, not so. It, it it's a bit of a roller coaster for me. I think it. Starts on a stronger note. Like it's real weird because it's not coming out swinging, but it starts on a stronger note, loses me a little. And then, like I said, season three, I'll just be honest. It's, it's up there for one of the best seasons I've ever seen. Uh, And we'll get into why later, but I absolutely like was hooked to the TV the whole time I was watching it. Whereas I didn't have that hook here. Like Eska and Bolin fighting Mako and Korra fighting. That wasn't what was doing it for me. And yeah. in season three, we, we there's some of that there, but it's not the focus like it mm-hmm. is in these first two seasons sometimes. Yeah. If you're going to go into it, just know that what this is a fantastic series. It, like, oh, yeah. Obviously, it has the impossible task of living up to its predecessor. The last airbender. So the creators are smart in saying that's not what we're trying to do. So just know that going into it, you're not going to get what you probably want out of it and that's intentional and just watch it as a thing on its own knowing the history um but it is a great series it as soon as it was out it was the number one series on netflix 
Um, it's so exciting it's, that both yeah. these series are getting such a resurgence. Netflix is so smart for picking it back up, for picking yeah. Cora up after Avatar. I just read a thing that I think um, The Last Airbender is like second only to maybe The Office in streams, which has been That's on crazy. for like the existence of Netflix streaming. And that's insane. Last Airbender's only been on it for a couple months. Like, if any Cora show is, deserves it, though, it's the, it's it's both these shows. I'll, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna lump them yeah, both together yeah. because it's one story, and that's one thing is I do enjoy a story told over a long period of time, and so those those little things you pick up on, like the metal benders, the lightning benders, things that have changed over the years. I love picking up on those little things. I feel like we don't get a lot of that in season two. There's not a lot of world building. There's not a lot of callback, like not callback, but like, Oh, yeah. this is what it was in like the chi blocking is a great example too. Ty Lee seemed to be the only one that knew that in the first series. And now there was a whole anti bending movement that learned how to chi block. Yeah. And, but the series does pick up on some of those pieces in three and four. And yes, so we probably yes. didn't talk about Lynn Beifong enough, but she's a crucial. But we're going to. She's yes, and that's what. Yeah, so. I yeah. felt fine leaving her out of this because she's she's kind of a minor character in these first two series seasons. Yeah. Excuse me. Other? Do you have any? Uh, yeah. Do you have any yes. closing notes on first two seasons? I think I've covered most of first what I wanted. Um, I will say Aman is a more compelling villain than Ozai. He's up there with like Azula. Oh, whoa. Okay. He's, yeah, absolutely. And there's season three has a villain that's up there as well. They're probably all oh, close season, ties. Oh, oh, season three yeah. villain. If you like <laughs> villains, you love season three. Yeah. Um, obviously catch Legend of Korra on Netflix right now. I know we were pretty critical of season two, but it's just the weakest watch chain. It. It's the weakest chain in the link of one of the most celebrated series of all time. So it is still a fantastic 100%. watch to to watch the whole thing. Um, it's I think it might have trailed the spot, but it was in number one. But oh my god! Uh, so Netflix a while back had announced oh, they were doing. I don't want to bring it up. What are you about to bring up the live show? We got to talk about it. A live action series. Uh, of Avatar The Last Airbender. Everyone was really psyched because Nickelodeon had tried it, a movie many years prior that is absolute trash. I think it's also... There is no movie. There is no movie in Boston today. <laughs> uh, so people were excited to see Netflix, this billion-dollar company, try and tackle it. Just recently, almost a couple days after Korra came out on Netflix, I yep. think, either a couple before or after, the two creators... Uh, Michael and Brian announced that they were leaving the series because they didn't feel they had you know, the creative I, I don't want to get into the why because that's sure. that's between them. I'm sure there's a lot of rumors going around why uh, it's sufficient to say them leaving the project mid project is not it's a huge blow. A great, yeah, that's not a great sign. I still have hope because I actually I actually think Netflix is really good with their original content. I think they're yeah. very good at finding tonality, which is big for Avatar. If you're good, like that's something the movie didn't have is the tone of Avatar at all yeah. down. Yeah. And Netflix is pretty good at finding like the tone of what something is. So Netflix I haven't lost hope yet, but that is a really bad sign that they both left mid project. Yeah. Um, but in the spirit of Avatar, it maintains balance. 
they're saying the most success in the world. And yep. then we get hit with a blow like this. So it's yep. a little bit of a bummer, but I mean, I'll still give it a shot and see what it's oh, I'm like. I'm going to watch it because I'm a big so. old nerd. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, this has been fun. I You taught me some things about Korra I didn't realize. And I, you know I love those bookends, those circle stories. And there was a few of them. Mm-hmm. I really like the in season two. And I wonder if it's just because I wasn't as high on season two. I wasn't paying close enough attention. But I really, really like how her problem with Mako is that he's always taking sides. And then the yeah. whole civil war thing. Like that's that like seems like that was staring me in the face and I missed it. So that was a good catch. I just picked that up like yesterday. I was watching <laughs> Yeah, it was funny to me. But yeah, next episode we'll be talking about three and four, which are three is amazing. Four is also pretty pretty good. Four is good. Yeah, four is really good. Um, if you like, uh, I I don't want to get into it because there's so much yeah, to talk about. <laughs> Season three is hype, though. I'll just be honest. Like, yes. oh my god, I I can't even because I don't I don't think I'm gonna spoil it for anyone. I imagine most people are either in the middle of it or watching it, but the or villains are just. The villains are just top notch, top notch. Mm -hmm. And Korra goes through. This is the season I like Korra the most because I, I I relate to her the most. These first two seasons, I'm not connecting much with her. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to continue. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to probably start watching today or tomorrow to, to catch back up on it. But uh, yeah, make sure you check those out before you listen uh, to next time. So that'll do it for this episode of Two Dudes Watch Cartoons. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, guys.